Young women have been growing up with an indoctrination of what womanhood is and what it should be. They've been taught everything that is in direct opposition to the Word of God. Young women who want to be different from the world are rare, but they are real. On this Rare But Real podcast, Audrey Brogy will often be joined by her daughter, Grace Anna, and her daughters-in-law, Maureen, Kesset, and Marilyn, who desire to be discerning in a day when everything seems to go against God's design. Join them in the journey of becoming rare but real. It takes courage and conviction. And now, Audrey Brogy. And in this last session, I've titled it God's Heart for the Home, and it's not really a a whole talk on, you know, a biblical home, but there's just some principles that I think will help us as we wrap up this session. And again, um, you know, if you go to, if you get the Search the Scriptures app and you go, I, I taught a whole series called The Path to Home, and there's so much detail about God's heart for the home and what He has in mind for it and what, what our home should look like and what they should be be like, biblically speaking, a lot more um, in depth. Um, but let me, let me open this session with prayer. Father, I thank you for your kindness to us. I thank you for your word. I thank you again for every single woman who is here and who's, who has been paying attention and who has been so encouraging. And I pray again that you would bless our time together, that you would speak through your word, that you would encourage each one of us and convict us when necessary, and that when we leave this place, that we will um, take to heart and put into practice the things that you have called us to do. And Father, I do pray for the next generation of uh, young moms and women, and that you would just help us be women whose hearts beat for you. In Jesus' name, amen. God's heart for the home. Proverbs 14, 1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And of course, you say the wise woman builds, the foolish woman tears down. And we can assume that if we are not building, then we're tearing down. Because we're not static. We're not just sitting there. You know, we're we're either going forward or we're going backward. And of course, I don't believe that most women set out intentionally to tear down their homes. But without understanding God's design, without knowing and having the perspective from Scripture, we end up doing that because so many of us just end up drifting with the culture. And when that happens, our homes end up being torn down. So without a a plan from the Scriptures, when I talk about a good plan, I'm just talking about what the Bible says. We end up tearing down our own homes with our own hands. So think about that. Think again about the long-range goal that we talked about last night. You know, think about it from uh, at the end of my life, when I go home to be with the Lord, what do I want everything that I've left behind to look like? And then I love the words in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 7, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, I mean, think about that. Whoever hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Think about what's in those verses. God tells us (laughs) the rain will descend, the floods will come, the winds are going to blow and they're going to blow on both kinds of houses they just are they're going in fact the scripture is so vivid here it's going to burst against the house but the one that's built upon the rock the one that's built upon God's word and who he is it's going to withstand that it's not going to fall but the one that's built upon the sand same storm but not only does it fall But the fall is so great. That's what the word of God tells us. So we don't avoid trials. We don't avoid tribulation. We don't avoid hard times with our own children and with our husbands. Those things are going to happen. And that's why not only do we need to hear the word of God, but we need to act upon it. And the interesting thing is, you know, uh, the scripture tells us not to be just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And a lot of people will end up saying things like, well, you know, scripture's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Actually, it is. You know, the Ten Commandments, that's a bunch of do's and don'ts. But... The foundation is what Christ has done for us. The only way we can keep the law, the only way that we can act upon what God's word says is if we know Christ. And as we talked about in the last session, God, the Holy Spirit lives in us and he helps us obey. Now, I wanna, I've mentioned Mary a few times as we've walked through this weekend, but I want to say a couple things about her. You know, when God chose this woman, Mary, He chose a woman whose heart did belong to him because we know from her prayer that she knew the Holy Scriptures. We know that she put her heart and her trust and her soul into trusting God because she said, be it done to me according to your word. So she knew his word. She chose the good way because she was... She, she, the way she responded when she heard what was going to happen to her. And then, of course, we know that this woman, God chose her because she was going to walk in the ways of the Lord. And we have to examine our own hearts, and we have to think about these words. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. What kind of woman do you want to be? So, and I told uh, this conference has been built on this theme Uh, in terms of um, stand by the ways, Jeremiah 6.16, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. We will not listen. So what does a wise woman look like? And what are some of the choices that she makes? The first thing is that she chooses to have a heart for the Lord. I mean, I love what 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 to 16. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So have you sanctified Christ as Lord in your heart? Are you always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you 
First with your own children in your own home, but other people who ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And then if you are asked those things and you, and whoever it is, whether it's your children or people outside your home, do you do that with gentleness and reverence? Do you have a kind heart towards those who ask, but ready to give a defense, ready to stand on what the Word of God says? One of the things that I say to my daughter and my daughters-in-law is, stand firm. Be brave in these years to come, because it's not going to get easier to walk with God in this, in, and I'm talking about in terms of the culture that's around us that's becoming so hostile to the things of God, it's going to get harder. And, and we have to prepare the next generation for that because the, our American culture that, yes, was founded on Christian principles, doesn't mean everybody's a Christian, doesn't mean we're not a flawed nation, but we were founded on Christian principles. And now that's made fun of. In fact, people are disgusted by it and they don't even want want that taught to students, and whether it's in high school or in universities. They want, don't want them to understand the Constitution, the founding documents, the Federalist Papers. They don't want any of that stuff. And our nation is becoming more and more, our nation is becoming more and more hostile to the things of God. So she chooses to have a heart for God, and then she chooses to be obedient to God. Hebrews 12.1, we've, we've looked at, uh, he, we've talked about Hebrews, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in this closing session. I love the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, because he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, the throne Look, the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Because here's the thing. As we run this race, so often we do lose heart. We do grow weary. That's just a fact. We're just finite people. You know, sometimes as moms, it's just like I'm so weary of dealing with this particular issue in my child's life and in his or her heart. It just seems like such a long process to work on this particular thing. But God always meets us. He always meets us. And that's why he tells us to fix our eyes on him as we run the race because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the context of this, these verses in the beginning of this chapter is he's just walked through Hebrews chapter 11 where he talks about all the faithful people who have gone before us. And he calls out people's names of faithful saints of God. And that's why he says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, look what they've walked through. You know, sometimes that's the best thing we can do is look at an example of someone who endured something as hard as what we've endured. They made it. They endured. They tried trusted God through it. God was faithful to them through it. Whether it's biblical examples that we see all throughout scripture. And by the way, that's why you need to be teaching these stories to your children. They need to know them as well as they know some mini series that they enjoy or some book that they're reading. They need to know what the word of God says. They need to know that. So we have biblical examples of people who face awful hardships. I mean, just think about Jochebed, and Amram and what they faced 
when they had baby Moses. I mean, if you, put, if you think about that, that she's a mom just like us, and she has to hide her baby because he's going to be killed. The fear she could have been in, but God tells her that she endured and she walked by faith, and she trusted God through that. She obeyed the Lord. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus because he knew about the joy set before him. He was going to that cross, and we are his joy. He endured such shame, such reproach, such beatings, such humiliation, and he was God. And yet he let all of that happen. He laid down his life for us because we are his joy. He endured all that for us. And then not only we are his joy because what he was accomplishing through his death on the cross and his resurrection, that we would be brought into a right relationship with God the Father, but then also as our example, that we would not grow weary and lose heart. And of course, obedience results, we talked about this in the last session, it results from a heart that loves God. Like John 14 verse 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But we have to know his commandments. So love for God brings obedience. You just can't help obeying a God when you love him, when you know that he wants your best, when you know that he is taking care of you, when you know that he's not going to leave you, he's not going to forsake you. He will stand up for you. He will be your defender. He will take care of you. It will be something you will run toward. You will say, Lord, just show me what to do and I'll do it. Love for him causes women to want to be in church want to serve the body. It, it encourages them to want to encourages them to want to give faithfully. It encourages them to want to dress in a way that pleases and honors the Lord. It causes them to want to serve other women and serve children. Love for God causes women to love and respect their husbands. It causes them to appreciate and respect his masculinity and to honor and, be, and, and, and encourage men to be the men that God wants them to be. Again, I've read this many times throughout this conference, but I'm going to read it to you again. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. There it is again, all your heart. There it is again, very active, seeking. We find him when we search for him. It's a very active thing. Do you seek him? Do you run toward him? Do you want to obey him? Number three, she chooses to be content with God's purpose for her. She just chooses to be a content person. You know, 1 Timothy 6 verses 6 to 8 states this, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You know, when we want more than what God has given us, when we lust after it, when we covet after it, it just leads to our ruin. It's not good for us. So we have to, but that's one of the things because we're naturally just discontented people. 
And we have to ask for God's help. Remember, the Holy Spirit is our helper. It's God's will that we become content women, and we need his help. And if it's his will, he hears us when we ask him for that. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 states, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I mean, think about what he's saying there. We have all sufficiency in everything. He gives us an abundance in terms of what we need for every good deed. Everything I need to accomplish what God has called me to do, he provides for me. Remember we talked about that last night in terms of we're capable because of God. He's over us. We're accountable to him. But we're capable because of who he is. If we need something, tell him. Talk to him about it. You know, Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, but... I don't know about you, but sometimes I just want. But if he's my shepherd and I'm trusting him, then I have everything that I need. And so many times as women, so many re- so many, one of the biggest reasons I think so often we're not content is that we have so many unrealistic expectations. We have expectations that no one can meet. And so if we expect too much or something other than what God has given us, we are a dissatisfied group of ladies Then she chooses to have, excuse me, she chooses to walk in the grace of God. And as I think about this, I often think, you know, the one of the things God's taught me over the years is I have to recognize my inadequacies. You know, that I have major inadequacies in my life. But God is adequate. He like picks up the slack when I walk with him and I trust him and have faith in him. I used to struggle with this a lot when I took on the task of homeschooling my children. I have so many inadequacies. I don't want to mess them up. And I know that I don't know everything. And I'm not even the most organized person in the world. But God, I need your help in this. I need you to help me. You care more about these kids than I do. You are adequate. I just want to walk by faith in this. I want you to help me, show me, just begging the Lord for his help. And and the Lord helped me realize my own limitations. So a woman who's walking in the grace of God realizes she has limitations. She doesn't know everything, but she knows God who has no limitations. And yet she's growing in her knowledge of God. You know, we've already looked at Galatians 5. She walks by the Spirit. Why? Because she doesn't want to carry out the desires of her flesh. So she's, she's diligent about learning what that means. What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit live inside of me and control me? Then Colossians that we've already looked at, she lets the word of Christ richly dwell within her. She makes it a priority in the morning. She uses her phone to listen to the word of God rather than scrolling social media first thing. I mean, that's the thing about our phones. They're such blessings and they're also a curse. Sometimes we just talk about the curse of them, but they can be tremendous blessings too. I know when my kids were growing up, I just, you know, there's no social media. There's none of that kind of stuff. You didn't have smartphones where you could put it on, put your AirPods in and listen to God's word. But I would just have an open Bible like everywhere in my house. So it was just easy to grab, easy where I sat down. So I could point to it, so I could read it. And as technology grew and you had it where it could come through your house, and I I bought scores of of cassette tapes that had the Word of God on it. We did all those kinds of things. I had my kids copying Scripture. And yes, I sometimes did that when 
it was a discipline issue. And somebody one time said to me, well, isn't that going to give them a negative taste for the word of God? If you're, I said, no, they're copying the word of God. If anything, God's going to use it to change their lives and it will help them memorize it. Then she chooses to be thankful. And that's really hard for all of us because we're naturally a very ungrateful people. You know, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us what God thinks about ungratefulness, you know, and what happened to the Israelites because they were grumblers and complainers and they, could, they were never satisfied. I mean, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, he says in everything. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if he just said, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in most things give thanks. <laughs> but he says everything. And then he says it's God's will for us to do this. She accepts trials from God. Even in those trials, she's thankful because she knows what God's accomplishing in the process. Remember, we read it in James, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its proper result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I mean, there's purpose in our trials, and I'm convinced that it's one of the biggest ways that God grows us up. I mean, think about it. When everything is ripped out from under you, there's nowhere to look but up. I don't even understand why people use those times in their lives to run from God. But I know that's what happens. Many people run from God. Other people run toward him. You know, and I know that in our own lives, you know, we've had so many hard trials over the years, some of them that could have devastated us. But even through that, God gave us the grace to know that he loved us. His purposes were greater than anything we could imagine. And how could we as finite people measure what God was doing we knew he was kind. We knew he was benevolent. We knew he would not leave us or forsake us. We knew that he would wrap us up in his arms. We knew that he would carry us even when we felt like, I don't even want to be carried anymore. But he does that. I mean, how else do you survive some of the tragedies? How else do people survive them and come out on the other side without the Lord? Psalm 138, verses 7 and 8 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Because what does the enemy want to do in your trials of life? He wants to ruin you. But God is your defender. He stretches forth his hand against the enemy. His hand saves us. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O oh Lord, is everlasting. Y'all, that means it never goes away. He's always loving kind. His, that's in his nature. That's who he is. And then the psalmist says, do not forsake the works of your hands. It's not, he knows God's not going to forsake. It's like a reminder to himself. You're not going to forsake the work of your hands. I'm the work of your hands. You are not going to forsake me. Even in this midst, the midst of all this trouble I'm facing and then this woman chooses to live by faith. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 20 
uh, 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. This is Paul talking. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten many times without uh, number, often in danger of death. And then a little bit later in that same book, he, he, rem- he says, but we walk by faith and not by sight. I have to put my trust in the Lord. And then in Philippians, he says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what's happened to us in the past, we have to look forward. We use everything that's happened in the past as, as a springboard to help us look forward. What God accomplished in my life, because it's healthy to look in the past to see what God's done. And you ought to tell your children how God brought you to this point in your life, what God did in this incident in your life, all those things you should do, but you don't live in the past. You go forward. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. Again, it's very active. And then I read to you the beginning of Hebrews 12, But the beginning of Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's like the things that we know God's going to do. We have a a sure hope, the scripture tells us. We have a steady anchor. He's solid. He's not going anywhere. And because of who he is, we have a conviction that he's put deep down in our souls that he is going to take care of us. And then he goes on in that chapter. It's like just a great chapter of faith when he talks about, when he says, for by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were repaired by the word of God so that it what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And then he goes on this great list of these great people, like Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. He talked about Enoch. He says he was taken up so that he wouldn't see death. He lived by faith. And he talked about Noah who built the ark by faith. He was warned about things he couldn't even imagine that he, he couldn't, he, that couldn't even be seen yet. He believed that God was a rewarder of those who seek him. I mean, he did all that. You, I mean, you, you go through it, you talk about Abraham's going to a place that he didn't know where he was going, but, but he did it by faith. And so many died in faith, some of them not seeing the end results of even their prayers. And some of us, we may die before we see the end results of some of our prayers, but we live by faith, we walk by faith, and we trust God. And you keep going through that great chapter, and you see so many others. And then he talks about, in verse 35, he says, women who receive back their dead by resurrection, others who were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men, and he puts this in verse 38, men of whom the world was not worthy. And y'all, even today, there are so many men who stand in our pulpits across America who are proclaiming the truth with such courage and bravery, and they are mocked and ridiculed sometimes, I mean, by the world for sure, but even among so-called Christians. But the world's not worthy. 
of them. And others wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And that's when he goes right into chapter 12 when he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses surrounding us. Y'all, that's why we need to know the word of God. We need to get to know these people, this great cloud of witnesses and they're surrounding us and what they live through. And again, we're in a, a, a day in this free fall when so many are of uh, so-called pastors, I don't know what else to call them because I have great respect for men of the, who are preaching the word of God. I'm talking about those who don't. I'm talking about those who, who are, who are um, watering it down and will never talk about the hard things these people went through and why they went through them. They went through them because they were proclaiming a truth that people did not want to hear, but yet they were more faithful to God than the people that, you know, I just want people to like me, and I want to build myself a lot of bank accounts, and I want to have a, you know, I want people never to be offended by anything that I say. You know, the days in which we live are the kind of days where it would be easy to lose heart, but again, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He didn't leave us here as orphans, just like he told the disciples. We're not here as orphans. He's still on his throne, and it's still his plan to bring men and women into the world to be used greatly by him. And he places these men and women in families. And no one's telling us now that we can't raise our own children. We can. We still have the freedom to do that. And we need to take advantage of that. And we need to be putting our all into it. We need to be the kind of women that the world is not worthy. That we stay strong no matter what the culture's throwing at us. We've strayed as Christian women. We've strayed as mothers from the truth for so long. But God still issues his call. And he has not changed He wants us to choose the good way. He wants us to walk in it. And as we walk in it, we will find rest for our souls. I don't know about you, but this is how I want to live. I want to be a brave woman. I want to proclaim the truth to the next generation of women, the truth, not just what they want to hear. I want to tell them the truth, and I want to say it from the scriptures. I want to point to the word of God that this is not Audrey's opinion. In fact, sometimes my opinions is like, I wish that wasn't in God's word, but it is there. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And 1 Peter 3, 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. You must make a decision how you're going to live. Are you going to, as Deuteronomy tells us, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen? Unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Don't let the truth that you've learned from God's word this weekend depart from your heart. 
go home and put it into practice. The enemy will not want you to do that. He will come at you like never before. That's what he does. He does not want you to obey him. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Deuteronomy 4, 9. Father, I thank you for this last session. I thank you for these women. And I pray for my daughter-in-law as she comes up next to share her heart and things that you've taught her through these years of her mothering. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this episode of Rare But Real, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. And share this podcast with friends. Follow Audrey on Instagram and Facebook at Mothering From The Heart. And listen to all her messages on the Search the Scriptures app.